0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I made sure my microphone was on <laughs> so that I don't have anybody rushing into the room saying, hey, "Turn on your microphone." Uh, <laughs> but good morning. Uh, I was so I was very pleased this morning. I was able to walk out of the house without a coat on, uh, so that was uh, that was. Like, some people still have to work. That's okay. Um, I'm a big guy. I've got a lot of insulation. So, uh, but it's uh, the weather is is turning nicer. Um, hoping for really good weather for the Easter Berlin uh, egg hunt. Um, and I <laughs> um, Bob was saying that a lot of families have a lot of things going on. Um, Our family, I'm I'm gonna be attending the uh, BIC Susquehanna Conference um, annual meeting on that morning. Uh, One of our sons is doing, like, what's Tommy doing? I don't know. (laughs) I never really know what he's doing anymore. There's a, there's a a, a track a huge track meet um, at Northern that Josh is going to be there, so, and, and I know a lot of you guys are going to be in a lot of different places, but if you're able to help, um, thank you. It would be uh, great for you guys to have, uh, have some help out there, especially for the teardown. Uh, they like to try to get us out of there as quickly as possible. I um, also want to say that uh, I really appreciate the, uh, the work that Casey and Tori are doing with this uh, family of kids. We're gonna hear uh, more about them as the weeks and months progress. Uh, there are some, uh, the, the food, the, the, the things that we're taking care of now, and, and we're trying to work out some other things as well that are a little bit more uh, large in scope. So you're gonna be hearing about those things as well. But this morning, we are continuing our journey with Jesus, and we started this journey way back in January, right after the first of the year, and now we're getting to the last few weeks of this journey, where we're looking at Jesus' last week's before his death on the cross, before his resurrection that we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday. And uh, as Bob announced this morning, we've got a lot of things planned uh, for the week leading up to Easter. Of course, next week is Palm Sunday, uh, in case you've lost track of time a little bit. Um, And then uh, on Thursday, we are going to be having uh, a, a communion and foot washing service, and I know uh, some of you are thinking, "Ew, foot washing—that's disgusting." Um, and and I know that uh, you know it's not something that a lot of us are used to. But if you were here last year. Uh, For the foot washing service. It was just just a moving uh, spiritual experience, felt the Holy Spirit's power in some real ways, just kind of working through the people that were here. So I hope you'll think about uh, joining us for that uh, special service. Um, And also because we are uh, taking communion on that evening, uh, we are not going to be taking communion today like we usually do on the first Sunday of the month. On uh, April 15th, Friday, is, it's bad Friday because it's tax day, but it's good Friday uh, because we are going to uh, take these last steps with Jesus as he uh, walked through the garden, as he prayed, as he struggled, and as he was ultimately uh, beaten and crucified and put to death. And then on Sunday morning, April 17th, we're gonna be holding a couple of services. Our Resurrection Sunday service uh, will be held, uh, weather permitting, outside, just as the sun is coming up. Uh, We'll start that at 6.30. Um, And then at about 7.30, 7.45, uh, we're going to serve breakfast. So people that are here for the the first service or people that are coming to the second service, we can all gather in the social hall and have breakfast. I'm told there might be bacon, so <laughs> I'm not—I'm sorry, well, was, you know, there will be bacon. And sausage. And sausage, all right, and eggs. And then at 9 o'clock—and uh, again, this is a change from the norm—we will actually start our service at 9 o'clock on Easter Sunday instead of 10. Um, so I want to make sure that, that you know that. We're going to have some uh, special music, a special message. Um, and some other things that I can't mention right now. You'll just have to come on Sunday morning and see what's going on. So I hope you can uh, join us as we plan uh, our Holy Week and complete our journey with Jesus. But over the last few months, we've seen um, Jesus demonstrating how we ought to live, demonstrating how we ought to treat other people, and teaching his central message, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is Jesus' central message. The very first thing that he says to a group of people is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we see all throughout his ministry that he teaches this. He demonstrates it. He teaches us to pray. He teaches us to study scripture. He teaches us to practice compassion for others. And he Shows us last week. We saw in parables what the kingdom of heaven is like And just as any good teacher Jesus had a purpose for demonstrating and teaching these things How many teachers do we have or former teachers do we have out there? We all have a purpose for teaching the things that we teach and it's not just so that they can regurgitate some answers on a test We teach these things and Jesus taught the things that he taught so that he could train us to do the things that he had been doing for three years and we read in Matthew 10 mark 9 and Luke 9 that Jesus finally after all of this teaching all of this ministering he sent out his 12 apostles the 12 people that he had chosen that were closest to him to carry on his teaching and we're gonna read, read in the Matthew 10 uh, version of this today. These 12 Jesus sent out, the 12 apostles, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no towns of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's that central message again that Jesus has been teaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he wants the apostles to teach that message. And he wants them to teach it to their own people. And when we think about going out and and making disciples, when we think of going out and ministering, the very first thing we think about are ministering to one another, here in the congregation and ministering to those that are out in our immediate community, those people who maybe don't know Jesus or who need like, significant help like, like these kids and, uh, and Jonathan over with the Plessicks. So we think about these things and we go out and we share the gospel and we share Christ's love with our local community. And Jesus wanted the disciples to do several things. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. All of these things that Jesus has done. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm an apostle, I'm looking at Jesus like, how? How am I going to do that? I can't do it. You're the only one that I've seen cast out demons. You're the only one that I've seen heal lepers and heal people. How am I going to do that? And Jesus throughout his ministry told his apostles that you will have the Holy Spirit to help you. And this is the first time when they're sent out with the power of healing, with the power of the Holy Spirit to minister to their local community. It was time for them to go. It was time for them to do the things that Jesus taught. And Jesus told his apostles, don't don't go with anything. Don't take a money bag, don't take any extra clothes, don't take any luggage, don't take anything. Just go into the towns and rely on those to whom you minister to provide for you. So he wants them to go out in faith into their local community. But he also warned them that this was not going to be easy. And we read on in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 18. But behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and before the Gentiles and wait. As if that's not enough there's more in verse 22 he says you will be hated by all for my name's sake. now this is just an offer that seems too good to pass up right I'm gonna be beaten and I'm gonna be arrested and I'm gonna be hated sign me up I'm thinking right wouldn't wouldn't you love to have that opportunity no we don't want that opportunity We want to go out and we want to be loved. We want to be liked. But Jesus says, you're going to be hated if you do it right. But Jesus also promises that the Holy Spirit will be with them throughout all of this persecution, all of this hate, all of the floggings, all of the arrests. And he says in verses 19 and 20, when they deliver you over, Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, just like the healing power is given to you at the time that you need to heal someone. And he goes on, it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And again, we can can imagine Jesus making this point. The Spirit does everything. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is be obedient. All you have to do is see somebody in need and go and meet that need. But Jesus, I don't have any money. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit is going to provide for you. Jesus, I don't know what to say. Don't worry. Don't be anxious the Holy Spirit is going to help you. Anytime we leave this building, anytime we go out into the world, the Holy Spirit is there. He shows us a need. He shows us what needs to be done. And then he gives us the power, whether that is uh, having people help financially, helping people to heal, helping people to learn about who Jesus is whatever it is the Holy Spirit is going to help us when we obey him Jesus sends out another set of disciples this time 72 instead of the 12 he's now got 72 and he sends these out two by two he says okay pair up It's just like in my classroom okay everybody pair up we're gonna compare notes we're gonna do some stuff pair up and go out and he gives them the base the same basic instructions the same basic uh, message that he sent the 12 out with preach repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand heal the sick cleanse the leper take care of the people in need and he sends more people out but to the same people to the same towns But after Jesus dies, after he is resurrected, Jesus does a different kind of sending. No longer is Jesus sending his disciples out just to Israel, but he is sending them out to the world. And this time, it's not just 12 people. It's not just 72 people, it is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we read about this sending in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus doesn't stop there. We actually see him go on after he talks about sending them. We read in Acts chapter one, starting in verse four, and while staying with them. So Jesus lived on earth for another 40 days after his resurrection living with his disciples, teaching them, instructing them. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And in verse eight, we drop down and we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, Jerusalem, that's where they were. That's where the temple was. That was the center of operations, Jerusalem. And then all Judea, that's basically all of Israel. And then Samaria. And this might have hit a little bit differently because Samaria, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. You want me to go and talk to the people that we hate and make them disciples? I wonder if they had some kind of second thoughts about that one. But Jesus says, to the end of the the earth, he's sending them out to everybody and this sending this call to make disciples of all nations uh, this is what we have come to know in church as the great commission and it sounds so fancy and it sounds so formal the great commission but really it's just the great sending Jesus says get out You're done. I've taught you everything that I can teach you. It's now time for you to go and teach other people. That's what making disciples is. It's teaching people how to do and how to live in the way that Christ lived and the way that Christ taught. Go. Teach. Make disciples, not necessarily just close to home. Yes, you're going to be in Jerusalem for a while. You're going to be in Israel for a while. Then you're going to Samaria. Samaria. Then you're going everywhere. And we read all throughout the book of Acts how the, the, the disciples went everywhere. And when we go to places, especially if we go far, far away, We are going to encounter people who have never, ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we call this world missions. Jesus calls some of us to be missionaries. And I know, don't worry, don't try to escape. I've already blocked the doors. I know, oh no, missions. He's going to call me to be a missionary. I'm not going to call you to do anything, but God might. And sadly, the church doesn't talk about missions as much as they used to. Definitely don't talk about missions as much as they should. I know I don't. But missions is something that Jesus has called his disciples to do. A few weeks ago, I let you know that there are over 3 billion people 3 billion people who we would call unreached. And the definition of unreached is that there is no way, given current conditions, that they can hear the gospel in their own language in a way that makes sense to them. That's what being unreached means. Think about this, this is, it's not that they haven't They've heard the gospel, and they decided not to do anything about it. It's not that they've heard the gospel, and they've decided, no, God's not for me. These are people who have never, ever heard the name Jesus, ever. They've never heard the story of the gospel in their own language, and there's no way right now that they can. And I don't know about you, But this should break my heart. Three billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus. We just sang this song, Freely, Freely, You Have Received, Freely Give. And we talk about going out we talk about sharing Jesus. And there are three billion people that have never heard the gospel. God calls people to go to other people. God calls us if we listen to him. If we hear him, he calls us to go to make disciples of all nations. And he calls individuals, he calls couples, he calls families. Question is, do we listen when he calls us? How many of us are going to go home right after church today and go to our prayer place and say, God, do you want me to go to Africa? Do you want me to go to China? Do you want me to go to wherever? How many of us are going to do that today? I'm probably not going to do that today. Because I don't want to hear the answer. He might say yes! And I don't want that! (coughs) But if we Truly believe that we should hear God's voice and do what it is that He says. Maybe we need to ask. Maybe we need to listen. See what He has to say. Because for those who listen and obey when they are called, the results can be supernatural. I am going to tell you a little bit about this man, the name of J. Hudson Taylor. J. Hudson Taylor lived back in the uh, late 18, early 1900s. He heard the call of God to go to China when he was 16 years old. That's right, young people when he was 16 years old. God doesn't wait for a certain age to call us. He also doesn't limit us to a certain age after well, I'm 65, I'm safe. No. God calls us when he calls us. But Taylor heard God calling him and saying, you gotta go to China. And he knew that he had to obey God's voice to go to China, but it wasn't gonna be easy. He didn't know Chinese. He didn't know anything about the Chinese culture. He didn't know anything about the land. He didn't know anything about anything. But he knew he had to obey. So he started learning. He started learning the language. He started learning about the culture. He learned about how they dressed and how they spoke and the different things that they did and the way their families lived. And he learned all of these things. And he found out through his learning and through talking with other missionaries who were in China, that there were millions of people that had never been reached with the gospel in China. You know why? Because most of the missionaries stuck to the coastal region of China. Nobody decided to go inland because it was more dangerous, and they didn't want to be hurt, so they decided not to go. Hudson Taylor said, that's where I gotta go. Learned the language, he learned the customs, and he did something that no other missionary had ever done, as far as we know. He actually changed his physical appearance and his dress so that he could blend in with the people to whom he was going to minister. And we think about that today, and, we've thought, and, and my church, my old church, when I was growing up, they, they preached missions all the time. And, but they never talked about, like, trying to become at least partially like the people that you were going to minister to so that they could feel more comfortable. It was just, you gotta go, yes, we know you're white, Most of our congregation was white. Yes, we know you're white, but you just you gotta go, and you gotta turn them into what you are. Hudson Taylor said, no, I don't have to do that. What I need to do is help them to feel comfortable. What I need to do is let them see me and see myself as they have seen everything their entire life. Remember, unreached people have never heard the gospel in a way they can understand. When we learn about the culture, when we learn about the people, we learn about how they can be ministered to in a way they can understand. But he didn't just stop with the language. He didn't just stop with Bible school. He didn't just stop with, any, uh, with the, the quote-unquote religious stuff. He also learned medicine because he knew that he would be able to minister to people in their physical need. So he learned medicine. He also learned how to live simply because he knew he couldn't take anything with him. He started selling off his possessions to to raise money for his trip, and he got free of all of these trappings of the Western world. And we hear over and over again how the trappings of the world often hold us back. And he said, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta let go. And he did. This is the hard part, especially for me. (laughs) He started working out. He started exercising because he knew that some of his travels were going to be treacherous, some of his travels were gonna be dangerous, and he needed to have the strength and the ability to walk into China. Anybody know how big China is? It's huge! He needed to have the physical ability to do his work. He went to church, he started teaching Sunday schools so that he could start learning how to teach the gospel most of all most importantly he spent a lot of time in solitude and silence praying and studying god's word and most of his prayers were show me how to make this understandable to people who've never heard your name then he went 1854 he left for china he traveled inland he started to work about a year later something happened he had to come home he thought maybe he got it wrong he had some physical issues he had to come home about a year later but while he was home instead of questioning whether he was hearing god right he became even more convinced that god wanted him in china and he once wrote on Sunday, June 25th, 1865, unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christians, uh, Christian people rejoicing in their own security, while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge, I wandered out on the sands alone in great spiritual agony, and there the Lord conquered my unbelief. And I surrendered myself to God for this service. Even though things had gone badly for him at first, he still knew God was calling him here. And he made a decision and he said, I told him that all the responsibility as to issues and consequences must rest with him. That as his servant, it was mine to obey and follow him. Taylor is understanding how we live for Christ he's understanding the basic teaching don't be anxious when you go out to teach other people that's all on God thank God all I got to do is obey all I got to do is listen for his will It is his to direct, to care for, and to guide me, and those who might labor with me. Need I say that peace at once flowed into my heart? Taylor returned to China soon after and founded what was called the China Inland Mission, and it's still going today under a different name, the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, OMF. You can look it up. He did things differently. He did things the way that God instructed him to. He trained new missionaries to adopt Chinese dress and custom to learn the language, to learn how to share Christ in a way that they could understand. And he headquartered this mission in China. Most missions were were headquartered in Europe, far, far away, and you had to get permission to do a lot of stuff and he said no we're going to headquarter right here you need something right here this is where we are tell you another thing he did for the very first time ever he accepted single women as missionaries first time that it ever happened he said if you're a single woman and god has called you to this mission come to us join us he also did something that was unheard of at that time. He considered missionaries' wives to be full partners in the mission work. He didn't put any limitations on them as to what they could or couldn't do. If God called that couple to do something, he said do it. Because he relied on God for the details. All he did was obey he practiced faith in finances. They never ever asked for money They never did a fundraising drive. They never did a money campaign They just said if we need it God's gonna provide it and they needed it and God provided it He's known as saying God's work done God's way will never lack for God's supply if God wants me to do this he's going to make sure i have everything i need to do it and what was the result of hudson taylor's total surrender to god in his lifetime between 800 missionaries and seven other i'm sorry 800 missionaries and 700 other workers came to china in his lifetime they started 125 schools for chinese children and they saw tens of thousands of souls saved for Christ. Tens of thousands of people who had never heard the name Jesus before. And They came to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they started making disciples. Today, the mission now operates with over 1,400 workers from over 40 nations and they're still doing the work that Hudson Taylor began. We might think of Hudson Taylor as a superhero of the Christian faith, right? We all have these heroes of the faith that we think about. He wasn't a hero, he was a 16-year-old boy who heard God calling and said yes. If that's what makes a superhero of the faith, then yay, Hudson Taylor is a superhero. But guess what? If you're here and you're 16 or you're 14 or you're 47 or you're 68, and you hear God calling you to go and you obey, you're a hero. You might not be a Hudson Taylor. You might not be able to do all of the things that he did. But can you do the one thing that he did? The only thing that he did that was the most important thing? Can you trust God completely? If he calls you, can you say yes? That's what we need to think about. In the early days of the Brethren in Christ Church, there was no mission focus. None. It was almost 100 years after the church started before they even sent out a missionary. And now we have 30 teams and individuals serving over four continents. Morning Hour Chapel has supported one of those teams. Uh, the, The Stoners, as they've been out in New Mexico. So you don't have to necessarily go overseas. They're living, they're working in New Mexico, and they're ministering to these people in a way that they can understand. As you consider your own journey with Jesus for the rest of your life, I want you to think about this. What if you were one of the three billion unreached souls? What if you were one of the people who had never heard the name Jesus? And what if you would have had that opportunity if somebody had just said yes? We're not all called to overseas mission, but some of us are. Will you listen? Will you go? There's three billion people waiting for you. Pray with me. Father, this prayer is going to be brief because we thank you for everything that you've done for us. Father, speak. Give us willing ears to hear and give us willing spirits to go where you might set and thank you for your son jesus christ amen if you are here this morning or you go home this afternoon or you go home a year from now and you hear god calling you to go i want to encourage you to give me a call send me an email send me a text come up after church and talk to me We'd love to be able to share with you some of the ways that our congregation can help you, some of the ways that denomination can help you to answer the call that God is putting on your heart. And if he's not calling you to go, maybe he's calling you to support those who are going. We can talk about that too. God bless you this week.